Pharisees asked Jesus about no-fault divorce. Their motivation was dubious. They were testing him, trying to get him into trouble. They asked it in the territory where Herod Antipas was in charge, the man who had divorced his wife and married his brother's former wife. And his response might also have upset the large crowds who followed him, many of whom assumed that you could divorce your spouse (coughs) for any reason and just move on to the next relationship with no bother at all. But Jesus (coughs) changed the terms of the discussion. They want to know the grounds why two people could separate. But Jesus wanted to remind them of God's good purposes for marriage, which is to unite. The whole point of God creating us male and female, we considered last week, was for this very reason, the possibility of marriage and children. God created marriage to unite a man and a woman in a one flesh union that was to be public exclusive and lifelong. A a lifelong relationship between a husband and a wife of mutual love and care. So that's the the Christian, that's the biblical view of marriage. And I, I think we have to keep reminding ourselves that this is the case because our culture erodes confidence that this is indeed possible. Let's keep reminding each other that God's design for marriage is both good and workable. And let's not take our spouses for granted. Let's keep investing in our marriages. Let's think about ways we can surprise and cherish each other, convinced that that's God's good plan. Can I encourage you all to uh, spend some time uh, today thinking about how you can surprise your spouse this week in a good way? let's, Let's think about it in a positive way, yeah? We find it astonishingly easy to do it in a negative way. But let's think about doing it in a positive way. Well, the Pharisees pulled Jesus back to the fact that Moses did speak about divorce, and so Jesus turned to that. While divorce was not God's plan from the beginning, God did did know that sin and the stubbornness of our hard hearts can so damage a marriage relationship that divorce is an option. And we considered last week that the the New Testament clearly states two valid reasons for divorce and therefore remarriage. Firstly, uh, the area of adultery and sexual morality. And secondly, abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. And so Jesus acknowledges here that there are times that divorce, though sad and painful, is permitted. But let's not forget the main point that Jesus is making uh, in this is that he expects people to stay married. He is reasserting God's original design in a culture that wants to offer divorce for any and every reason. Jesus thinks that marriage is realistic and good and it should be a lifelong commitment. Now, for those struggling uh, in their marriages, I know that it can get very difficult and painful. 
And I've heard many heartbreaking stories as a pastor. But God's good design can work. Jesus expects us to make it work. And together, you can seek help from others and more importantly, look to God's forgiveness and grace to to help you when marriage gets hard. Now, this is where we get the response of disciples in verse 10. So that's what we looked at last week. And then we get the disciples' response, verse 10. If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. They, they kind of got the point that, that Jesus was saying, that it was supposed to be lifelong. And the cynicism of our culture today seems to have been shared in theirs, and so they think that maybe that, this lifelong marriage thing is not such a great idea. It sounds a bit too restrictive. It, it limits personal freedom. Singleness might be better. And to that we have this response by Jesus. Verse 11. Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. Now the interpretive question that's key to this is, what word is Jesus referring to? It could sound like Jesus was saying, well, not everyone can accept this word about marriage being a lifelong, exclusive relationship between a a man and a woman. But if that's the case, it would suggest that marriage is just really for the, the few. Only those with a special gift for loving self-sacrifice, who have a, a sort of unusual knack for faithfulness, that marriage is for them who have this special gift. But that would undermine everything that Jesus has been saying. The whole point of what Jesus has just laid out uh, about the Creator's purpose for us as male and female is that we were designed for this very thing of marriage and the possibility of children. And also notice the way the next verse starts with in verse 12. All this stuff about eunuchs that we're going to get to in a moment is the explanation of verse 11. And for that very reason, I think we have to understand that what Jesus said here when he says not everyone can accept this word, he's referring back to the word that the disciples have just said. They say, it's better to stay single, Jesus. To which he replies, Not everyone can accept the idea of staying single, but only to those uh, to whom it has been given. And then he goes on to describe those, uh, these three categories of uh, eunuchs. (coughs) That is to say, those who stay single and celibate. Verse 12. For there are eunuchs who were born that way. This is a group who are not able to have sex for a variety of different medical and genetic reasons. Next category. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And uh, this is a reality that in the ancient world, some men were castrated Uh, to be involved in high office uh, within royal courts, to be in charge of harems and things like that. And then thirdly, this category, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs uh, 
for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you've studied any church history, uh, probably the only thing you can remember about this early church father, Origen, was that he took this verse a bit too literally and castrated himself. Now, just to be crystal clear, that's not required. Uh, This category, this third category, is those who choose to live like eunuchs, not as eunuchs. The point is this, that some choose to live a single and celibate life. And they choose this for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. For the sake of of God's rule in the world through Jesus and his coming kingdom where he'll rule over the new creation. And I think that means that uh, people will choose to remain single for all the advantages it gives and for all that they can then contribute to serving Christ and his church because they're freed up from all the obligations of a a spouse and a children. This is exactly what Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 where he he wrote this, "I, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. Now, the truth is that the Christian church has been greatly blessed by the ministry of single people who've been able to do extraordinary things. Uh, Dr. Helen Rosevere, who died at the age of 91 in December, had an amazing ministry, both as a medical missionary in the Belgian Congo, but also as an author and a speaker sharing about her life, a number of very traumatic incidents in it. But the sharing of her testimony had a very powerful impact. One of the lesser-known key evangelical leaders of the 20th century was a guy called John Nash, or he was known by those who were his friends as Bash. He was single all his life, and yet he had this incredible ministry. It was instrumental in leading the following people to trust Christ. Just think about uh, these folk. Justin Welby, Nicky Gumbel, John Stott, David Watson, Michael Green, amongst others. Amazing. It was a privilege for Shona and I to go and visit Papua New Guinea a few years ago to <clears throat> represent the church at the um, commissioning of the New Testament translation uh, into the Semat language uh, for those who live on the Ninigo Islands, these little islands off the coast of Papua New Guinea. And other translators were there at the time. And they were telling us what an extraordinary thing it was that uh, Teresa Wilson and her co-worker Beata Wozner, what an incredible thing they'd done in completing this translation in record time. And it was clear that, uh, that what enabled them to do this was, well, number one, you've got two very smart, intelligent women. But secondly, because they've been able to dedicate themselves to the challenging task of translation as single 
women. It's a big thing to move to these islands, to learn a language, to create an alphabet for it, and then to translate the New Testament into those scriptures. Extraordinary achievement. And some people will choose to live as eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. It is quite a deliberate choice to remove uh, the concerns that be involved with a, a spouse and children to focus on what may be achieved for his kingdom. I think this category also speaks of those who are currently not married and have not ruled it out. Actually, they would love to be married, but the option does not currently look like it's there on the table. And so knowing God's good design for sex is only to be expressed within marriage, they choose to live single and celibate lives for the sake of the kingdom. It's a sign of their love and trust and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they are submitting their lives under God's rule. I think this category also speaks of those who experience same-sex attraction. Uh, they know God's good design for marriage uh, is between a man and a woman within marriage, and so they commit themselves to being single and celibate because they know that God's kingdom is more important than their own sexual orientation. Back in October, we had a really uh, useful day uh, where we looked at sexuality, society, and the church. And it was so helpful to hear from Ed Shaw, who's an Anglican minister, and uh, for him to be willing to share how he experiences same-sex attraction, but because of his commitment to following Christ, he's chosen to live as a single and celibate person. And Ed talked honestly about some of the struggles as well as some of the blessings he had experienced through that whole uh, experience he's gone through. And if you want to hear some of their stories, you can go to a great website, livingout.org. And we honor men and women who have as their first identity that they are those in Christ rather than some sexual identity that is obsessively considered in our, in our current culture. And if you're here today as somebody who experiences same-sex attraction, well, please do know that you're not the only one. And actually that you're in a room of people who have sinned, including sinning sexually. In, in different sorts of ways, in our thoughts and in our actions. And yet we have experienced the grace of God who washes us, sanctifies us, justifies us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by His Spirit. And please do know today that you are loved by God just as much as anyone else in this room. And there is grace and help and healing for all who put their trust in Christ. But be in no doubt that Jesus does call you to live a single celibate life if you are someone who is seeking to follow him. And so I think we need to keep telling each other that marriage is good and lifelong and that that is possible. And we also need to keep telling each other that being single and celibate is good and possible. Now, our culture <clears throat> just doesn't believe it, does it? 
it, it, it mocks celibacy. It mocks the virgin. It, it celebrates and insists that you must be engaging in sexual activity in whatever way you fancy and desire, as long as it doesn't hurt too many people. And if you don't do that, you're just a bit weird. And there are huge pressures on people uh, today to conform to this culture. I think there's very little honesty today about the medical and emotional and societal harm that this unrestrained sexual activity has brought about in our Western culture. Although I think there is some growing recognition, isn't there, that of the problems of pornography addiction and uh, the problems of sexting that's going on amongst children and the blackmailing and bullying that's happening as people are, uh, foolishly send naked images of themselves. But Jesus wants us to know that people can choose to live a single and celibate lifestyle for the kingdom of heaven. God's design works. Now, do you believe this? Our society does not. But as Christians who trust the Lord Jesus, we need to believe it and keep saying to each other that it does work and it's worth living in a way that pleases God. There is a fulfilling, God-glorifying way to live our lives, whether we are married or single. And our church should be a place that nurtures both those who are married and those who are single. And together in community that we help each other to live out God's good design. This would be a genuine place of community and care and support, whatever our life situation. Uh, single people at times tell me that they find the local church is biased towards the needs of married people with children. And so I asked a uh, um, two people, a single woman, a single man, to send me some prayer points so that we could pray for them, uh, pray for those who are single in our fellowship. And it's in the bulletin. And you'll see, actually, when I got the two lists, what was most interesting to me was that how similar they were, whether you're a man or a woman. And so actually, I've just basically combined them, in, mashed them together, taken points from both and put them in one list. And can I encourage you just to put that in your Bible and use that in your prayers uh, this week. Married people, let's think about how we can invite single people uh, into our lives and our homes. Single people, why don't you think about inviting married people into your life and home? And let's ask God's help to live out the circumstances that we are in in a way that will glorify God. Let's just spend some time in prayer now. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that within our church family, uh, single people are accepted for their individual gifts and abilities. Lord, help us who are not single to be sensitive to the possible struggles that uh, those who are single may have with their self-worth at times of feeling lonely. 
Lord, may each one of us look to you for our acceptance, no matter whether we're single or married. Lord, help us to seek your best for our life, to know and experience that our chief end is to glorify you and enjoy you forever. Lord, we pray for those who are single that you would uh, help them to enjoy the life that you've given them at this time and that their identity would be in Christ and that all of us would realize that our greatest gift is Christ. Father, would you fill us with your spirit? Many of the things that I've taught from, from your word today, are so countercultural. It's so different to the values of this city and the society around us. And so, Father, would you empower us to know the truth of your word, to believe it with full confidence, and to have the strength to live it out? We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen.